Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's Extraordinary Etiquette. For Ordinary Occasion. Hello, my dove. Hello, dear. Why are you making eye contact so weird <laughs> with me? I'm just trying to maintain <laughs> eye contact to get on a shared wavelength of energy. And you're doing big, bulgy eyes. Big Marty Feldman eyes. You guys don't know what happened just a few minutes I ago. Was, I was trying to touch your face romantically <laughs> to maintain eye contact. And you act like I was trying to burn you with a cattle prod. <laughs> I did not like it. You react like, what? You were like, what? What is this? And I was like, just trying to t- like touch your shit. Like, oh, yes, let's stay in this moment. And you're like, what? Ah, touch. Ah. I didn't like it. Okay. All right. I don't have to apologize. I didn't like it. No, that's fair. You don't have to apologize. You didn't want to be judged. That's fine. I don't see why it has to carry over <laughs> to the next. Hey, I have a question for you. Who is your favorite celebrity chef? Huh. Who is my favorite celebrity chef? I like Nadia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I like Alton Brown. I've learned a lot from him. Um, I, I guess none of these people do we know personally. By no, the way, this we're, is true. we're just talking about their body of educational work. Yeah, I'm just saying, like the stuff I've learned the most from. I mean, I've learned a lot from Mary Berry. I don't endorse the man personally. I don't know nothing about him, but I enjoy uh, Paul Hollywood's recipe book. I've been working my way through that. But I don't know. I mean, like Nigella. Nigella's fun. Nigella's fun. Again, don't know her personally. Julia. um, I said Roberts. That's not it. (laughs) Julia Child. That's not it. Julia Child. Oh, Stanley Tucci. Does that count? Um, He's got a TikTok channel where he shows himself cooking stuff. It's great. I don't know if I would call him a celebrity chef, though. He was a he's a celebrity slash slash chef. Yeah, but I think you are along the right track with um, with like Alton Brown and Nigella Lawson and, and and people like that. I have several of those cookbooks. I am a person who what? reads <laughs> I roll who reads cookbooks like a novel. Right? Yes. So um, I love the little like blips in front of recipes and things like that um, when I'm reading a book, not not on the Internet. I don't I don't, I don't care no, about just the, go straight to the right. Re- I don't want to hear about your 18 kids and like how your husband if works hard. I am hard looking and, up a recipe on my phone. I need that recipe. Just go straight to it. But if I'm reading a book, I really do like that kind of stuff. Um, so I have a lot of Alton Brown and Nigella and I've got for Christmas. Very excited to dive into Nadia. And uh, I mean, Julia Child definitely is up there. I wouldn't say that her books are necessarily very like mm, comment heavy. Mm -hmm. They do teach very well. Um, But she had years and years, a decades long like television career as well. Um, Who would you say was the first celebrity chef? Okay, well, I don't know. It's going to be the person we're talking about whose name I've already forgotten. And if we hadn't already (laughs) talked about her, I would have said Julia Child. But it's just as far as like TV chef. I mean, I'm sure that there's chefs where it's just like they went 
and like made food in front of people live and everybody loved them. But I, as far as like being on TV, I mean, Julia Child, I think, I don't know. Well, I'm not talking about TV. I know. I know. And you know what? Can I just say? Feels like a trick question because you know I don't know the answer. I know. I know the answer. I know you. You better know the answer. You asked the question. That doesn't happen a lot in like tests in school where the teacher's like, what's six times five? I hope you guys know because I know. So the answer is Marie Antoine Carême. Oh, not Marie Antoinette. No. Okay. Antoine Carême. Here, here's a little background about the time period. Okay. okay. So we're talking about the 16th century. Okay. And Francis. So the 1500s. Yes. Confusing. Sorry. Am I right? Sorry. No, not you, historians. Get it together. At this time, France's relationship with food is not the way that we think of French and food. Okay. Right? Um, so we still have the class system, right? Um, so if you were a peasant. Yeah. You primarily ate vegetables and legumes, sure. right? Very little meat because meat was reserved for the upper classes. Um, and uh, even then, except on like special feast days, unless you were nobility, we didn't we didn't have the the big spread, right? That you think of when you think of like French cuisine, sure, right? Yes. Um, and so things were probably pretty basic until. We head into about 1650, and that is when one of the first French cookbooks was published. Um, and it, you know, I mean, the title translates to French cuisine. Okay. Um, and this started the trend of cookbooking in France. Um, and the revolution happens about 150 years later from this first cookbook. They hated the cookbook that much? No. Oh. <laughs> uh, and so uh, French cuisine really just gets started and then is turned on its head again with the revolution. Um I mean, it had some time. 150 years. It had some time to evolve. Well, okay. Okay. A little bit. Okay. A little bit of time. I mean, but not everybody could afford books, and it was it was purely like it was a very novel thing. Right. Still, even 150 years later, um, and of course we have we've all heard the "let them eat cake" like apocryphal kind of like attribution to yeah. to Marie Antoinette, right? Yeah, but. The point is, at that point... They couldn't afford bread. It was bread, exactly. And bread was tied to everything in French society. So the the, the full, like, apocryphal is like, well, they can't afford bread, then let them eat cake. Right. Right. Okay. Right. Without context, because people often just say the, let them eat cake. And it's like, it sounds like a weird insult, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, this. it's like, but people like cake. Why are, why are you saying it in such a way? <laughs> let them eat cake. What's that mean? But it's supposed to be, oh, they can't afford bread, then let them eat cake. Oh, um, you're so out of touch. And bread at this point was tied to the state, right? It was a, you were a public worker if you were a baker um, because, you know, you you had like every aspect of your job was 
pretty much police controlled, right? From who could buy what breads and how you had to mill it and bake it and like all that kind of stuff. Um, Like the show says, sitting flat on your butt doesn't buy any bread. There are children back home and the children have got to be fed. And you're lucky to be in a job and in a bed. It sort of sort of sounds like that. It's, I nailed it. <laughs> Excuse me, madam. I'm ready for Broadway. You are. You are. The great white way. Thank you. Nothing Nothing without you. Thank you. Um, so there was a grain shortage, right? And that led um, a bunch of people to be out of work. It led a bunch of people to be, you know, hungry. Um, and that was like one of the things that really kick-started the French Revolution. Um because the guild system is what was used up until then. And that was basically like um, where you had – it was almost like like a forced union. Okay. Um, but after the guild system, you had it opened up to anybody who wanted to cook, right? Could become a cook. Okay. Could become Even a, a little rat in Paris. That's right. Even Remy. Um, and I think his name was Ratatouille. No, no, no. His, his name was not. I think it was. It was. The- if you uh, knew as much about the movie <laughs> as I do, you'll know that his name was Ratatouille. Um, and so this is when the restaurant came about. Um, in, you know, 18, in 1782, the first restaurant opened up in Paris. It was a cafe. There had not been restaurants before? Not not in the same way that we think of restaurants. There were taverns, uh-huh. right? That kind of thing. And like public houses and, and public stuff. houses. Well, not so much in France. Yes. But the first like branded as restaurant where it you didn't like they didn't have rooms for rent and they didn't have like a stable. And, and it was, wasn't mostly a bar, right? right? Okay. Right. And even then it was mostly just open to like um like rich clientele. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And everybody needed jobs, so they started opening restaurants and stuff. Um, Here comes Marie Antoine Kerem. I can't wait, but I will wait, because first I would like to hear a word from some other Max Fun shows. Parenting. It's hard, but don't worry, you're not alone. Belly up to the low bar with one bad mother and let us remind you that fine is good enough. They want to climb on different things. And how am I supposed to keep them both from dying? (laughs) There is a right way to do this. And if I can figure out that right way, I'm going to be a good parent. So that is not a thing. So join us each week and let us tell you that you are doing a good job. You can listen to One Bad Mother on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. This week on Bullseye, Tom Hanks, as you've never heard him before, mad. You moron. Thank you for the use of the turn signal. Way to use your blinker, idiot. That's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. So here he comes, that person whose name I keep forgetting. (laughs) 
may, he may have been born in 18, uh, 1783 or 1784. I mean, he was definitely born, right? Definitely born. He may have been born in one of those years. But he's not like Schrodinger's like, famous. He was definitely he was born definitely at some point. born in one of those years. Okay, the question is what year, not the status of his existence. Correct. Okay. Um, and his parents were destitute, so he was abandoned during the, the French Revolution. Not a great start. Not a great start, but at eight years old, he found work as a kitchen boy uh, for a chop house uh, in Paris um, in exchange for room and board. And at 15, he became an apprentice to Sylvain Bailly, a well-known patissier, uh, with a prosperous bakery. Ooh. The bakery was located in the place to be post-revolution, Palais Royal. Sure. Uh, because it was, you know, it was full of bustling life and I wish ideas everyone could and... see you. I wish Teresa's doing this like mm. she's kind of juggling, <laughs> but like her shoulders are way in it. And there's a lot of oh, the life. Oh. It was it was like the artist scene, right? And we we think of France that way with yeah. like the the berets and the smoking. Oh, I do. Yes, the artists, striped shirts, indeed, mimes, uh, boxes, invisible. <laughs> Free the mimes. Hashtag free the mind. <laughs> we don't stuck ta- in those boxes. We don't talk about this enough. You know, really tickled me. not a lot of people are working hard to get the minds out of those boxes. For just pennies a day, you could get a mime out okay, of a box. So so this is where he is like discovered, right? Um, because he is experimenting in the pastry shop and he is like learning to read and write, of like teaching himself to read. He's going next door to the Bibliothèque Nationale, right? To learn to read and write. It's a real, you know, up from the ashes story. Um, and this is when he starts making his sugar masterpieces. Do you remember when we would watch? Um, Supersizers go. We haven't yes, mentioned this program in a long time. On yeah, Spanish. it's been at least three episodes. At yes, least, yes. This is one of the things that they talk about: is these enormous oh, sugar yeah. sculptures, right? And everything yeah. was edible. Um, so he would make them out of pastry and marzipan and sugar and like, you know, famous buildings. Yeah, architectural resources. That's the thing I remember most. Yeah, that he did a lot of architecture. Yes, exactly. Um, and you know. This was definitely impressive, and it really drew people into the bakery when they put it in the window. Can you imagine, though, being at a party where one of those served and, like, wanting to eat it but being like, I'm not going to be the first person. (laughs) Somebody else is going to have to break it. I don't want to feel like a doozer on Fraggle Rock just tearing (laughs) into this guy's work. Someone else is going to have to, like, get in there. But then I'm getting the second piece. We can all agree the second piece, right? Yes, the second one. Um, So he was noticed by Charles Maurice The Fraggles ate the doozers. I feel terrible. I just read, the Fraggles ate the doozers' work. The doozers didn't eat the Fraggles' work. I feel terrible. I didn't even miss I know. I'm so sorry. It took me a second. I was like, what did I say? This is this is terrible. I have to go back. I recognize that the Fraggles <laughs> ate the Doozer structures. Thanks. Uh, they really needed that apology. He was noticed by a French diplomat, Charles Maurice de Talliad Perigord. Sure. Perigord? Perigord. I'm not quite sure. Anyway, 1804 is when he started his career for the rich and famous. Um, he began. Uh, his life is kind of like a personal chef. Can right? I tell you what's wild to me? And I'm just realizing this about myself. 
if you say like it happened in like late 1600s or even like if you said it was 1790 i'm like old times old times in my head right just that's what i think and then as soon as it's like 18 something i'm like modern and i don't know why but that's the flip over switch in my head it's like anything that starts with a 17 old even if it's 1799 i'm like <laughs> who can even imagine oh so far back and then you're like 1801 i'm like so about now and i don't know why <laughs> i don't know, either. I don't know why that is 1800 is like well that forward is like basically now and 17 anything back is like that's old times i'm so sorry everybody i've had a lot of sugar today okay you have no i just ate some granola at about 2 30 and some it's giving granola, me a butt. it's right there it's giving me a bust all right So the challenge was the young baker had to use local seasonal fruits and vegetables and could not repeat the same entree. And he was like, watch me, bro. He did it. It was amazing. Um, And he was skyrocketed to fame. Um, So, I mean, he had a full scope of culinary experience and he was ready to run. He worked in several private kitchens, many members of high Parisian society, until he was scooped up by Napoleon Bonaparte. Oh, I've heard of him. You surely have. Yeah. Um, He had Napoleon had an interesting relationship with food, particularly French food. Um, he was unimpressed by the decadence of the early 18th century. He was like, whatevs, dude. It's it's food. We should eat it. Um, but, I mean, here's the, like, he still had the pressure to, like, Keep up with the Joneses of the of the Parisian oh, yeah. society, right? He had to show that he was he was an I emperor or whatever. It. I could do it if I wanted to. So he summoned Karem to work in the kitchen at his palace. Um, he even commissioned him to do the wedding cake for his second wife, um, which consisted of a, an enormous tower of macarons, choux pastry, meringue, and other confections, like with a giant sugar orb on the top. Like Werther's and Raisinets mm, yep. and Twix Rollos. Rollo. Oh, of course, Rollo. You're not going to do it without Rollo. What are they're, you talking about? They're an amazing building material. Look so at them. Sturdy. Gumdrops on toothpicks everywhere. So sturdy. Um, you can make atoms out of that stuff. And this this lavishness is what really sets Karem apart. Um, and like... He was the first one of the the modern chefs to really focus on the tablescaping mm. kind of idea, right? Um, because we've talked about the different dining uh, the dining structures, right? A la Russe, a la Française, a la Anglaise, all the kind of stuff, right? Um, but he said, I want order and taste. A well-displayed meal is enhanced 100% in my eyes. So he really took, I think about, um, do you remember that celebrity chef? What was her name like? It was like semi-homemade with Sandra D or something. Oh, yeah, I think so, yeah. She was big on those tablescapes. Like, that was half of the program. She showed you how to, like, turn cupcake wrappers into ballerinas and, you know, all that kind of Who stuff. Who has the time? Well, when you're semi-homemade and oh. you use things like freezer stuff and box mixes, you have the time to make sure. a tablescape. But not when you have a six-year-old going, what are you doing? Here, I'll help you. And you're like, no, no, it's fine. I don't need it. And then the three-year-old's like, I help too. And you're like, well, you know what? Let's just color. <laughs> that's a that's actually kind of like a, a controversy with Sandra. 
Do you remember? You don't remember? Oh, this? I do. Remember yeah. the cupcake, the back, the like the birthday cake episode, or she was making like for her niece, like cupcakes or something, and, she just and her cupcake let the kid help. is like she's trying to like put all this different stuff on it, and Sandra's like, oh no, you can't dig. Anyway, I, I remember. I do remember now. I do too. His next great, I guess, conquest was England. Um, in 1816. You're talking about the chef, not yes. Napoleon. <laughs> not Napoleon. Okay. <laughs> I'm talking about the chef, Karim. Uh, in 1816, he went to cook for the Prince Regent. Um, Albert at this point? Yeah. No, George no, IV. That was Prince Consort was, okay. Yes, was Albert, but Prince Regent was George. Yes. Um, and then he moved to the the far farther eastern continent of the Russian continent, there, to cook for Rasputin. To cook for Tsar Alexander the First. Yep. Uh huh. Also ha- known as Rasputin. No, those are different people. What? He's a shapeshifter. <laughs> no. <laughs> Two different people. Anyway, um, and he. I mean, when you have cooked for such, you know, all the crown heads of Europe, you're gonna you're gonna brag about that, right? Yeah. He's a little bit of a braggart, and so in all of his cookbooks. He included a sketch of himself so that people could recognize him in the street. I love that. <laughs> and clap and tip their hands to him. I love that. <laughs> That's a great maneuver. It is pretty cool. Um, if you happen to see, like, the drawings or, like, a recreation of some of the beautiful sugar work and sculptural, like, elements, you really you really have to be in awe that something like that could have been constructed at that time, like without machine help or, you know, things like that. Um, it, Some of it looks like 3D printed. It's it does. incredible. It yeah. does. It's it's really awesome. Um, there's one feast in particular. Karem uh, designed a celebration of the Grand Duke Nicholas of Russia visiting George uh, IV's Brighton Pavilion in 1817. 120 different dishes, highlighting eight different soups, 40 entrees, and 32 desserts. I bet some of those in there, though, were just like, here's a hard-boiled egg on a plate, right? Just to get a... It was like, how many are we at? 119? Ooh, I hate that. I hate that. Let's see. Uh, Some bread. (laughs) Do we have any bread? Just get to 120. Um, so he established a lot of the fine dining standards and staples that we still use today. For example, um, he invented the four, quote, mother sauces. If you've heard about the, these in France, uh, bechamel, yes. for example. Um, and he was the first to perfect the souffle, uh, the first chef to pipe meringue through a pastry bag. What? Um, he even introduced the standard chef uniform, the double-breasted white coat and the toque. I know, okay. right? This guy is very it? influential. Now I'm trying to figure out what the other mother sauces are, though. Bechamel. And I'm going to look it up. You keep going. Okay. Okay. Um, and so, like, when he wasn't gallivanting through Europe, of course, cooking for the rich and famous, his cookbooks would be used throughout the next few centuries. Um, his manuals, uh, including a massive five-tome collection called The Art of French Cuisine, of course, uh, was so in-depth, right, um, that it had to be completed in full after he died, so posthumously. Wait, he's dead? Yeah, sorry. Um, And in these books, he walked people through the common kitchen tasks, um, you know, 
talking about how to run a well-run kitchen. And it was really the first kind of um, push towards the idea of it's so easy, you can do this at home idea, uh, right? So, so a chef named Auguste uh, Escoffier, I'm going to say, was a French chef, uh, who popularized and updated traditional methods. Much of his technique was based on carems. Um, and he was the one who codified the mother sauces, which are bechamel, espagnol, uh, tomato, velouté, and mayonnaise. The five mother sauces. I mean, tomato is just, just I mean. tomato. We get it. <laughs> okay. Um, and so here, here is the sad part. Right. He died very young. Not very young. He, he died too hard. No, um, from cooking in coal-fired kitchens, very uh, close kitchens. Um, he died of uh, lung damage. Oof! He yeah, had, like black lung. In the, kind yeah, of, yeah. Kind of. It, he was only fifty years old. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Not he, like when you said young, I was like like twenty seven, but still fifty for yeah. someone who has had so much impact on it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean. I, I think about Julia Child. She she was kicking it for a long time. And right? I plan to make it to 120. Exactly. Even if one of those years is just bread. <laughs> See, I'm tying it back to the right. dishes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he's still hailed as the father of fine dining and haute cuisine. Um, I mean, just Google him and thousands and thousands of recipes pop up. Um, not only that, but also lectures, uh, fine dining institutions and, you know. I wonder if he had kids. Um, so here is one of his many writings. Uh, and he laid out quite clearly what it is he hoped his lasting legacy would be. Uh, He wanted to, quote, set the standard for beauty in classical and modern cookery and attest to the distant future that French chefs of the 19th century were the most famous in the world. Okay, so Carême. Okay, Carême married uh, Henriette Marie de Chitney, um, and Carême had one child a few years later, a daughter named Marie, but not with Henriette, rather with a woman named uh, Agathe but records aren't clear whether Krim had remarried at the time or just had an affair. So there we are. There we are. There we are. All right. Well, on that note, um, we want to tell you a few things before we let you go. Uh, first, if you're a fan of The Adventure Zone, The Adventure Zone 11th Hour Graphic Novel comes out February 21st. Uh, you can pre-order that at theadventurezonecomic.com. Uh, there's a couple special editions on there, and you can submit your receipt at bit.ly slash 11th, all spelled out, our pre-order to get a lenticular sticker featuring art from the book. Over at the merch store, we've got Amnesty Flame Bright Dice, which are absolutely beautiful, a sticker from the Adventure Zone Dadlands 2 show uh, featuring Griffin jumping around in his grill dad outfit that says Cornhole for Your Soul. Um, there's a pen. All of these require a lot of explanation. <laughs> there's a pen uh, taken from our, we do, me and Justin Griffin do a series called McElroyale, uh, mostly Mondays where we live stream Monday mornings some uh, games on our YouTube channel. And uh, there's a the thing we often say of like, you know what? There's a rudeness to that. They shot us and there's a rudeness to that. So you can order a, there's a rudeness enamel <laughs> pen. And 10% of all merch, merch proceeds this month go to races, which promotes justice by providing 
providing free and low-cost legal services to underserved immigrant children, families, and refugees. All of that at McElroyMerch.com. Um, and uh, we're still working on new tour dates for this year, but we're going to be doing the uh, 20 Rendezvous Fancy Takes Flight uh, makeup shows in San Jose and Denver. That's April 27th, San Jose Adventure Zone with Abria Iyengar, San Jose on the 28th with My Brother, My Brother and Me, and on April 29th, we're in Denver with My Brother, My Brother and Me. If you already have tickets, those will be honored. If not, you can still get new tickets at, I believe it's bit.ly slash McElroy Tours, uh, and we'll see you there. Mask and proof of full vaccination or negative COVID test within 72 hours of event start is required. We wanted to say thank you to our editor, Rachel, without whom we wouldn't be able to make this show. We want to say thank you to Alex, our researcher, without whom we wouldn't be able to make this show. And we wanted to say thank you to you for your support because we couldn't make this show without you. <laughs> I've decided right now in this moment, I want to say thank you to Teresa for putting up with me today. Aw, thanks, Travis. Thank you, too. Okay, you're not going to say like, woman, boom, boom. It's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> It's fine. That's fine. Okay. And what am I, what am I forgetting? Uh, thank you to Brett Brentofloss Black for writing our theme music, which is available as a ringtone where those are found. Thank you to Bruja Betty Pennup Photography for the cover picture of our fan-run Facebook group, Schmanners Fanners. If you love to give and get excellent advice from other fans, go ahead and join that group today. Um, you can always submit topic suggestions, idiom suggestions, I don't know, just say hi. Uh, suggestions, suggestions, suggestions. If you have suggestions for suggestions we could accept, <laughs> suggest them to us. Send those to schmannerscast at gmail.com and say hi to Alex because she reads everyone. And that's going to do it for us, so join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Schmanners, Schmanners. Get it. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.